this idea of Sabbath, the idea of rest. And as we talked about that subject, we recognized how hard it is for us just to pause. Um, Not to take a day off, but to pause and to rest. And rest in such a way that we feel um, energized and rejuvenated. We talked about four parts of that. We talked about stop. We talked about rest. We talked about contemplate, reflecting on God's goodness. And then we talked about delight, about being able to enjoy and be able to celebrate the good things that God gives to us. And my challenge to our church was to, to pause one time during the week, and maybe it's a few hours, but eventually get to the point of 24 hours where you would pause and you would make that day different than every other day. One day different than every other day. And that's what God's intention was, to resist the pull of our culture, to resist the pull to just be a human doing and not enjoy what it's like to be a human being, to set aside all the busyness and all the rat race of this life and be able to enter into the rhythms of rest that God has designed for each of us to experience. And this morning we're going to look at that challenge in a little bit different way. We're going to look at that challenge and say, what would it look like to pause and do this on a daily basis? What would it look like to pause and do that on a daily basis? What does it take for you to slow down, to be quiet, and to be still? Some of you are thinking, well, that only happens when my pillow hits the, when my head hits the pillow at the end of the night. Or some of you are thinking, well, as soon as I hit that recliner, it's all over, you know. And some of you are thinking, quiet, still, that never happens. What are you talking about? My mind is racing. Somebody needs something from me. I never slow down and I never pause. And the reality is that if we find a way to step away from the busyness and the pace of life, it gives us an opportunity to meet God in a very different way. If you haven't been here with us the last few weeks, we've been talking about this whole idea of practices that lead to transformation. And JR got to start off by talking about the caterpillar and the gruesome journey from a caterpillar to a butterfly the gruesome journey that it takes. And he talked about the fact that this is not perfection in spite of the fact that that butterfly looks quite perfect. But the goal that God has for us is progress. The goal that God has for us is what, what's it look like for us to take one step forward in our faith journey to, to make progress in that way. And then I talked about what does it look like to absorb God's truth? Absorb God's truth. Not just read a verse a day, not just read a chapter a day, not just read a daily bread a day, but what would it look like for you to be so absorbed with God's truth that it would just drip out of you? It would just drip out of you. Now, obviously, in this picture, that person's squeezing a sponge. But when I demonstrated, I just simply picked the sponge up, and it was so full of water that it just dripped out of it. And my challenge to you was to ask yourself, what does it look like? What would it take for you just to drip with God's truth? And then last we looked at the ancient practice of Lectio Divina, of looking at God's Word in a reflective way. Not just reading to read, but to read and say, God, what's the word or phrase you have for me today? And, and why would you give me that word or phrase? And then what should I do with that? And then be able to just rest in God's love and then go out and live that out. And so this week we want to wrap up our series by talking about one of the most important but maybe one of the least practiced um, habit or, or practice and that's silence and solitude silence and solitude let me talk about the whole idea of of silence for a few minutes in 2011 the world health organization reported uh, noise pollution as a modern day plague a modern day plague they said that there's overwhelming evidence that exposure to environmental noise has adverse effects on the health of the population 
Here's a couple things that they said about that. They said, first of all, silence relieves stress and tension. Silence relieves stress and tension. They did a study in a neonatal intensive care unit, and they found out that elevated noise level disrupted sleep. You're like, duh, no surprise there. But it also elevated heart rates and um, blood pressure at the same time. They also did another study, and they found that two minutes of silence is better for you than two minutes of relaxing music. Two minutes of silence is better for you than two minutes of relaxing music. They also have found that silence replenishes our mental reserves, our mental resources. We have this constant sensory input that's coming at us through the screens that we're looking at all day long, and it drains you. It puts a drain on that front, uh, front cortical Uh, prefrontal cortex of your brain which is where you make decisions and you solve problems and when you are silenced it recharges it i mean what do we do every night with these things we plug in so we can what recharge them right and the way you recharge your mind is through silence another one is that silence taps into your creative emotional side and so when you pause and are silent and still it unlocks that side of your brain and lastly silence can regenerate They've discovered brain cells in mice so far. Two hours of silence develop brain cells in the part of the brain which controls learning, memory, and emotion. So there's all these benefits. They say we've got this problem. There's all these benefits from silence, um, but that doesn't solve the problem that we live in because we we live in a world where there's noise all day long. From the moment that alarm clock goes off to the music that you're watching when you're getting ready or the Netflix episode that you're paying attention to when you're eating breakfast to you're in the car... And then you're at work or you're at school and there's people talking to you, there's phones ringing, there's teachers lecturing, there's reading that's taking place, there's hum of machines, and then the day ends and you come home and you go out to exercise and what do you do? You put your headphones on so you can again listen to music, listen to a podcast, there's conversation over dinner, there's music playing, there's TV on, there's reading before bedtime, and then you end the day and what do you do the next day? Start it all over again. And the noise never stops. But it's not just noise all day, but there's also a problem with activity all day. Because we're rated on it, we're graded on it. Our productivity, our accomplishments, our effectiveness, how far and how fast we go. And we never stop, we never slow down, we never pause to just reflect on where we are because we're always looking at what is next. And so the combination of the noise and the productivity leads us to a place where in a lot of ways we can't even slow ourselves down to hear from someone else, let alone hear from God. And so this morning we're going to take a look at a story of a guy who got moved into a place where he was set aside from all of that, and then to look at what God did in his life as a result of that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17 um, is where we're going to be at. Um, If you don't have a Bible, the Bible's in your seats there. It's page 283. The Bible's in the seats right in front of you, underneath in front of you. It's page 283. Grab one of those. You can follow on your phone or tablet as well if you have that with you. And so as you're turning there, let me tell you what's happening in 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings is a story of the history of the people of Israel. And so the king at this time was King Ahab. Now prior to King Ahab, there have been seven. There were some good kings and some bad kings. But the seven, the seven kings prior to Ahab were all bad kings, but not as bad as Ahab. Look at verse 
previous chapter, chapter 16, verse 30, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He was the worst, the worst of the worst. He married this woman, you may have heard her name, by the name of Jezebel of Sidon, and it was a marriage of political convenience so that the armies from the north merged with the, the armies of Israel in a political alliance. They set up altars to Baal, and they not only were more evil than all of the other kings before them, but in verse 33 it says, Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than all the kings of Israel before him. Than all the kings of Israel before him. Um, and so Ahab was a bad, bad dude. He was the worst of the worst. In the midst of all of this, um, the prophet Elijah shows up. And the prophet Elijah there in chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe um, in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, they lived in the desert, and it does rain in the desert, just not very much, only about 20 inches a year. PAR annual rainfall is about 45. Now, it's probably a little bit more because of this past summer, maybe even because of the past week, but um, not including snowfall. Um, but in the desert, there was... This is a desert region. They live. There's going to be no rain. Now, again, they didn't generate income from the local Amazon reseller. They didn't generate income. They generated a way to live by two things. They grew crops and they raised livestock. That's how they lived, most of them. So what does livestock need to survive? Water, right? What do crops need to survive? Water. And there's going to be no water for three years. They could maybe make it for a year because there's water in the springs, there's water in the rivers, but he said no rain for the next three years. And it's significant as well because Ahab had set up, as the previous verse indicated, Ahab had set up an Asherah pole, he had set up worship idols to Baal. Baal was the fertility god, the god of rain, the god that produced and Elijah confronted that God and said, there's going to be no rain for the next three years. And so after Elijah made this prediction that there's going to be no rain, God sent him away. The word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan River. And so he sent him to this place. He was over in Samaria. He's from Tishbe. He sent him to this place east of where he was from called the Ravine Kareth. In the land of Israel, um, because of the formations of the soil and the way the rain comes, the rain comes a lot like the rain we've experienced this summer with these heavy downpours. Now, they don't have a steady, steady pitter-patter of rain. It's these heavy downpours. And these heavy downpours over the centuries have worn these deep ravines. They're called wadis, and they're all over that land. And that's where the water sits sometimes down in the base of these. And so that's where God sent him. He sent him this place. And this is going to begin for Elijah a series of events where God sends him out into the desert and then gives him a task to do. Sends him off by himself and then does something supernatural through Elijah. And it kind of sets up a pattern for us to pay attention to that in our lives, part of the way God works, and you can see this all throughout the Bible, is that God says, I want you to go and be away by yourself alone for a time and then I've got something for you to do. It's almost like that time away, that time of rest, that time of silence, that time of solitude, just like scientists have discovered, recharges our brains, prepares us for God to do something significant through us. 
And so Elijah was sent away to a place of solitude, a place of loneliness, a place of quiet. In Jesus' life, he went away by himself, spent the whole night in prayer before he called the 12 guys who he was going to say, you're going to go with me for the next three years, and then when I leave, you're in charge, and you're going to change the world. Jesus spent the night by himself. He tried to take his followers. They fell asleep, but by himself in the garden before he went to do the greatest thing that God had ever called anyone to do, and that's to give his life for all of mankind through the cruel punishment of the cross. And so this practice of silence, this practice of solitude, is something that's modeled all throughout the Bible. There's lots of practices that we have in the church, but for many of us, especially in an evangelical bend, an evangelical tradition, for us those things are worship and, and reading the Scriptures and serving and, and confession of sin and fellowship and teaching. But for many of us, we've not really given time and attention to this whole idea of silence and solitude. When I, was a, when I was in graduate school, one of the things I had to do on my year-long internship is every day we had to sit quietly by ourselves and we had to write about the previous day, basically a journaling process. I'd never done anything like that before. And it began for me a journey of what does it look like just to stop and pause and be quiet and think and write. Eventually that transitioned into writing out prayers and I did that for a season of my life following a pattern that I had read somewhere, and I tried that, and that seemed to be a very meaningful connection time for me and for me with God. I later came across the writings of an individual named Ruth Haley Barton, and she would write about this whole idea of silence and solitude, and, and uh, some of my thoughts here this morning come from some of her writings, and, and uh, our staff at that time went to a retreat that she was leading. We didn't, we didn't know what this was going to be about. We said, let's go to this retreat. And it was at some Jesuit monastery center, and so we're like, let's go to this thing and, and see what this is all about. And we went there, and after we checked in, this is just when cell phones were starting to be used. They're like, you've got to shut your cell phones off. You can't use your cell phone for the next two days. And, and shut your computers off, leave them in your car, no email for the next two days. And so they were introducing us to this idea of slowing down, of being still and being quiet. After we had been there for a short period of time, they said, now we're about ready to begin the great silence. We're like, what is that? And we had to be silent for 12 hours, 7 o'clock at night to 7 o'clock the next morning. No conversation with any of them, anyone. Some of you are thinking, what's so hard about that, John? That would be like heaven for me. You know, the introverts are like, yes. You know, the extroverts are like, you're killing me, John. You know, um, but then the next day, we were given four hours with, uh, of some directed reflection to go and just be by ourselves, not just silent, but now silent and by ourselves to meet with God. Um, and really, since that time, for me, I've tried to figure out, what does this look like? How do I do this? How do I practice this on regular rhythms, on a daily basis, on a monthly basis? And instead of running from it, instead of being afraid of it, I found there was something inside of me that started to crave this. And when I don't get time away, when I don't get time to be quiet, when I don't get time to be still by myself, there's something missing inside. Sometimes for me it's when I exercise, when I'm out running or I'm out riding by myself. Sometimes it's a quiet place, a retreat center that I found up in 
uh, about 15 minutes from here where I just go and say, hey, is there a room I can sit in for a few hours and just be quiet? Sometimes it's just a few minutes with headphones on, not with anything playing, just to keep all the noise out. Silence is not just about the absence of noise. It's also about setting aside other people and being attentive to what God wants to do in your life. Henry Nouwen said this, Without solitude, it's almost impossible to lead a spiritual life. It's almost impossible to lead a spiritual life. You think about individuals in the Bible. You think about Moses who God said to to go away and be by himself for a long extended time before God was going to use him. John the Baptist, the same way. God sent him away in the wilderness before God would use him to introduce Jesus as the Messiah, the one that was coming. Paul spent time alone by himself. Jesus often alone by himself. And so this whole idea of being in solitude, separate from other people, and then silence to still the noise around you is a practice that for many of us is foreign. For many of us is foreign. Silencing the inner and outer voices so that we can be attentive to what God wants to say to us. I read of one individual who was a desert father who was trying to figure out how to be quiet, and he put a stone in his mouth and kept it there for three years so he could learn to be silent. We have a pile in the back for those of you who want one when you're on your way out. Just kidding. Just kidding. Find your own rock. Um, and so this morning we want to talk about and continue to look at the story of Elijah about what is it that makes this so hard, but it seems like there's this pattern in the Bible of this happening in the lives of people over and over again. Why is it so hard for us? Well, one of the reasons it's so hard for us is because of, we have this intimate emptiness inside. We have this, this deep need, this God-shaped vacuum that Pascal talked about, that we try to find a way to fill that. And we try to, wait to we sometimes fill it with activity, we sometimes fill it with people, we sometimes fill it with noise. But only God can do that. Here's another one. Why is this so difficult? Because you have to give up control of your life. You have to give up control of your life. You know, the truth is, all of us want to control something. All of us want to control something. Whether it's our spouse, whether it's our kids, maybe it's the pets, maybe it's the people around you, maybe it's individuals at your job, your small group, people you serve with, we all have this need to want to control something. We even have diseases, we even have, you know, diseases today that are listed, or disorders, excuse me, that are listed today because of our need to control something, and we can't control, and so we've got to clean everything to try because we can control that. We've got to wash because we can control that. That's where obsessive compulsive disorder comes, our need to control. And so when you step into silence and solitude, you are giving up control of these things in your life. It's as if you're saying, God, I'm going to step back and I'm going to let this go and you can run the show while I just am going to be quiet with you. And that's hard for some of us, much harder than others. Here's a third one. The monsters inside of you will come out. Monsters inside of you will come out. One person, as I was talking to them about this issue of silence, I, I encouraged them to pursue it. They're, they said to me, I don't want to go there. I, I said, what do you mean you don't want to go there? They're, they're like, I'm afraid of what's going to come out if I go there. And so we put on a movie, we stick in our earbuds just to keep the monsters quiet. 
just to keep the pain buried, just to keep the heartache at bay, just so that our emotions will be pressed down and won't come up right here. One of the things we talk about all the time here at CCC is God has allowed these things in your life. God has given you emotions and as, an, as an expression of the Creator God Himself. He's allowed pain in your life to be purposeful. It doesn't feel good. It's never easy. It's horrible. It sucks. But God has given you this so that you can become the person that God has allowed you to become. And when we bury that, when we stifle that, when we squelch that, we're not allowing ourselves to be open to what God wants to do in our lives. So back to the story. But this is the question we all have to ask. Can I trust God to take care of the world, my world, while I'm doing nothing except being with Him? Can I trust God to take care of my world while I'm doing nothing except being with Him? So God gives Elijah some instructions. He says to him, nope, sorry about that. You will drink from the brook and I've directed ravens to supply you with food. So God says the ravens are going to take care of you. Anybody know anything about ravens? Well, how would you describe ravens? Somebody describe ravens. How do you describe them? Well, it's a bird. Thank you. That's a great description. How do they find their food? They're scavengers, right? They're scavengers. You know, we would compare them around here to what? Turkey vultures, right? Those big birds that are always flying down. And what do turkey vultures love? What's their favorite food? Roadkill, right? They love the road, always on the road. And you try to hit them with your car, you know, and they always fly away at the last second. I mean, that's what ravens are like. They're like roadkill. Um, and God says, I'm going to have these guys take care of you. And that's what a raven, not, 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 not that guy, you know, but this guy. That's who he's talking about. He's going to take care of you. He says, the ravens are going to... And you think, God, why the raven? Why a scavenger? Why not a, why not a dove? You know, a dove would be nice, you know. A dove might bring me a nice piece of chicken from time to time, maybe a little bit of pork, you know. But a raven, uh, it's just going to bring me roadkill. But God said, this is what I have for you. This is what I have for you. And he goes on to say that that's what they did. They brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. I don't know how the ravens got bread. I really have no idea how they got the bread. I kind of have an idea how they got the meat. That's what they do for, that's how they survive. But the bread, where did they get the bread from? And he drank from the brook. We don't know how long he was there, but God gave him what he needed for the next meal. That's all he had. That's all he had. He didn't get a whole day's worth in advance, you know, flying in with an Amazon drone, dropping your meal for the day there. He didn't get that. He didn't get the whole week's worth. You know, he didn't have the freezer with the month's worth of food. He just had the next meal. That's all he had. And that's kind of how God likes to do things. God likes to just give us. He loves when we are so reliant on him, we're just waiting for what is next. But we hate it. We hate it. Because we went the fridge stocked, the freezer stocked, the 401k maxed out. I mean, we want all of it ready, just in case. And God says, all I want you to do is just wait for me and I'll give you what's next. And that's where God sent Elijah. To a place where he was just waiting for what was next. And somehow in that silence, somehow in that solitude, somehow in that aloneness, somehow in that relying on God for everything, 
God prepared him for what was next. You say, what was next? Well, the brook dried up. That wasn't part of the plan. And so now there's no water. Now there's no water. And the easiest solution would have been for Elijah to run back home to the stocked up fridge, to the freezer, to the well. But God had another plan. So what did God do? God said, go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I directed a widow there to supply you with food. Um, so God says, I want you to go to this place up there. He said, okay, so what's the big deal about that place? The woman that Ahab married, named Jezebel, she was from a place called Sidon. That's where she was from. And so God sent Elijah in the heart of enemy territory, into the heart of Baal worship, into the heart of a town, a community that didn't care about the God of Israel at all. That's where he sent Elijah to. Um, and he sent them there to ask for some food and some water. So he did it. He went there, came to the gate. A woman was gathering sticks. He says, would you bring me a little water so that I can have a drink? And the story goes on that she said, I have my last meal, and it's for me and my son, and then we're going to lay down and die. We have no more food. We're just going to die. That's it. And Elijah says, would you give it to me? And if you do, the God of the heavens will take care of you as long as you need. As long as you need. I mean, if you think about what happened with Elijah here, because he went alone and he was quiet with God and God met his needs right where he was at. It gave him the capacity to go into a foreign community surrounded by people that didn't worship the God that he worshipped and offer a woman who didn't believe in the God that he believed in hope and purpose and life through the food that would sustain her. And I have to believe that part of the preparation for Elijah to have the capacity to do that was the time that God said, I want you to be quiet and alone and let me take care of everything that is needed. You see, one of the things that has to happen in solitude, in solitude is we have to go through the pain and the suffering of letting go of everything else in our lives and saying, God, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to turn it over to you. And when we do that, God does these remarkable things in our lives. Romans chapter 5 says this. It says, we know that suffering produces what? What's the next word there? It produces what? Perseverance. And perseverance, what does that produce? Character. And what does character produce? Hope. And we all need hope to live. But most of the time, we just want to jump to the hope, and we don't want to have to go through the, the hard part of suffering, the hard part of waiting, the hard part of taking our hands off of everything and allow God to sustain us, and then in the sustaining of us, give us the character that's going to allow us to believe that God could do something, even if right now I don't have any idea how that could happen. And so what does this look like? What does this look like to slow down, to stop, to be present with God, and to wait for Him? Well, there's some logistics associated with it, surprisingly. 
How many of you have a room in your house or a spot in your house where you regularly watch TV? How many of you have a room or a spot in your house? Let me see your hands. Okay. How many of you have a room or spot in the house where you regularly eat meals? Okay. How many of you have those in the same two places? Okay. When you get older, you do that. That's what I heard. So, same place. Um, we kind of do this in life, don't we? We have this spot where we do certain things. Spot where we do certain things. And you need to find a space for you to meet with God. A space for you to meet with God. Maybe it's a favorite chair in your house where you meet with God. Maybe it's a closet that's just quiet away from everything else where you meet with God. Maybe it's sitting in your car when you get to work 10 minutes early, just quiet. You meet with God. Um, if your mom with little kids, maybe it's in the bathroom with it locked and the vent fan on where you meet with God. Um, finding a place for you to meet with God is an important thing. You say, John, do I have to sit still? I can't sit still. It's really, really hard for me to sit still. No, you don't have to sit still. Maybe it's a walk in the woods. For some of you, that's where you feel like you meet with God. Wherever it is, it has, has to be quiet and you have to be by yourself. You have to sit in a way that you're comfortable, but not that you're dozing off in just a place that feels like you are at rest. And so here's some things for you to remember when you take some time to pause and be quiet. The first is just to be attentive and open. If you heard this last week, you looked at the story of Samuel when Eli was talking to him, and, and Eli said to Samuel, Samuel, just say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. And so it's entering into this posture that just says, God, I'm here. I'm here to meet with you. The second is to sit still, to just be still. Set the pen that you're clicking down, not tapping your foot. The third is just to sit up straight and take deep breaths and breathe naturally. You say, John, whenever I turn everything off and I try to sit down and be quiet, my mind just starts going a thousand miles a minute. What do I do with all of that? I'm going to give you two suggestions. The first is you just have a notepad right there by you, and when something comes to your mind, you write it down, and then you turn it over, and you say, okay, God, this one, there you go. Something else comes to mind, you write it down, and you turn it over, and you say, okay, God, here you go. And just keep giving that stuff back to him, back to him. But there's another approach I want to invite you to take. I want everybody just to take a deep breath. Breathe it out. Okay? You're going to have to do that in about another four seconds. Um, and so as you take a deep breath, if your mind is racing, if your mind is filled with things, I want to invite you to do something that J.R. mentioned a few weeks ago, and that's just a breath prayer. And that's a prayer that you can say as you breathe. So as you breathe, say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Take a deep breath. Here I am, Lord. Our minds can only focus on one thing at a time. Researchers say that we have between six and 7,000 thoughts a day. So in about a five-minute span, you probably have, you can do the math and figure out what that might be, a thought every six seconds approximately. And so some of you are going to have to do something because your mind is racing. And so maybe it's just as you breathe, you say a short prayer. As you breathe, you say a short prayer. Here I am, Lord, or the sinner's prayer, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And the last thing is to close your eyes to eliminate distractions. Close your eyes to eliminate distractions. Now, I want to give you a chance to practice this. I'm going to do it in just a moment. Um, 
So I want everybody, if you have a book or a Bible, I want you to close that up. Close them all up. Got a coffee cup, set that down. Pens, phones, put them all away. Students, sit up straight. And I'm going to keep time. And I want you to just sit for five minutes quietly in God's presence. You say, what do I do? You don't do anything. What do I think? Say, God, here I am. Here I am. And see where God takes your thoughts and your heart and your mind. He's here. He's present. He wants to meet with you. Okay? Let's begin. Okay, you can stop. So what was that like? What was that like? How many of you would say that was hard? Honestly. Okay, there was a few honest people there. One guy said to me after first service, man, it took me four minutes to just stop thinking about stuff. I was like, oh, you were watching your watch, huh? <laughs> I kept hearing all this stuff before I could... Tell me that long to just be quiet. It's hard. It's hard. You know, if you haven't been exercising for a couple days, a couple weeks, or a couple months, and you start up, does it feel good when you start up? No way. It's, it's excruciating. And for some of you, this exercise may have felt a little bit like that. It's just really excruciating. And you're, if you face the reality, you, the reality is I'm just not slowing down. I'm just not being quiet. Remember what David said in the Psalms? He said, be still and know that I am God. And there's a part of knowing God that cannot happen in our lives apart from slowing down, being quiet, and being alone, and being still. For some of you, it may have been exhilarating. Someone else said to me after first service, they said, they said John, God just kind of pointed me to something and then you interrupted me when you said it was done and I got to go home and finish this. And so some of you, it may have been somewhat exhilarating just to think, wow, I, I kind of heard from God. I mean, God took me back to that song we sang, the first song we sang in communion. Just kept playing it over and over again in my mind. What God does in our lives. And so I hope for you this morning you've gotten a sense of what God is inviting you into. He's inviting you into a relationship with Him of you being quiet and still and aware of His presence with you right now and that the God of the heavens wants to be with you and walk alongside of you and comfort you and encourage you and strengthen you. But you can't do that in the noise. You can't do that surrounded by people. You need to be quiet and still before Him. And when you do that, God's going to do all kinds of things in your life and in your journey. 
So this week my challenge is you is for you to spend five minutes of solitude and silence each day. Five minutes. You've got to find your spot. You've got to figure out where and when. And then five minutes, just like we did, set the timer. We all can know how to do that on our phone. Set a little alarm. Do it five minutes. And just be quiet and still before God. And then continue, as we talked about last week, continue to spend a few minutes each day just engaging God's Word, absorbing God's Word, because it's a combination of absorbing God's Word and being quiet and still where God is going to meet with you in amazing, transformational, and powerful ways. Let's close in prayer and ask that God would do that this week. Father, this whole idea of of stillness is new for many of us. For some, many admitted it was really hard just to be quiet and still. And yet, Lord, there's this sense that you were meeting us here in some ways that we've maybe never known or experienced before. And so, God, I I pray for all of us as we walk out these doors, we engage with people as our lives and days are very full, that, that you might stir in us a longing, a desire to just be with you. And then being with you, we would know you. We would know your son, Jesus, in ways that we deeply long to, but maybe haven't been part of our life and experience up to this point in time. God, give us the strength and the capacity to set aside the noise, to take the earbuds off, to turn the volume down, to step away from people, and just be quiet to be with you. Help us to do that, God. It's hard. We can't do it on our own. We need you. In your name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing the song, Give Me Jesus, and feel free to stay still and just listen or join in with us as we sing, but let us remember that we need to be still before the Lord as we seek to spend time.